I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in our Johannesburg studio today is South Africa's Deputy Minister of Communication, Ms. Pinky Kakana. In 2014, she was elected to be a member of the National Assembly. As a member of Parliament, Ms. Kakana has served on several committees, including the Standing Committee on Finance, National Assembly Committees, and ad hoc committees on the filing of vacancies in the Commission for Gender Equality. In 2015, she was elected in the African National Congress Women's League National Executive Committee and is the Secretary General of the Pan-African Women's Organization. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Mark, and thank you to the listeners. To begin with, you've served South Africa for several years, and you've got a focus on the communications domain. We know that ITC is a significant portfolio in today's digital age. Can you share with us, firstly, a few of the landmarks in your career and some of the milestones that you want to achieve? Look, like you, you correctly said, I... I served South Africa in many different ways. At some point, I was a mayor in the district of Waterbeck, and at some point, I was the MEC for Economic Development as well as the MEC for, for Transport. And currently, as you correctly said, I'm the, the Deputy Minister of Communications. And this portfolio is one of the critical portfolios because in everything and anything you do, communications is key. There's quite a number of things that we also need to look at and not to keep our communities and constituencies um, in the dark. One, to inform them on every little thing that government intends doing in bringing service delivery and all other things, but also to share with communities developmental issues that play themselves out in the ICT space. And like you're saying, we are now in the fourth industrial revolution. And one of the things that the president at all times emphasizes is that as we go into this fourth industrial revolution, everybody must be kept abreast. Don't leave others behind. Our women have to also be prioritized. We're living in the technological space, in the internet of things and all other things. Many women are now trying to do businesses. Many women are heading families. Many women are doing all these things. Things that we also have to support them around as, as, as the ministry. And just to also make sure that they too move with time. How do we make sure that in their businesses they expand and how do we make sure that in nurturing and bringing up their children, they are also able to keep up with the gadgets that they buy to their kids and make sure that um, kids are also protected along those lines. So those are some of the things I am going to focus on in making women to be part of this fourth industrial revolution, whether they have gone to school or not gone to school. Digital literacy is going to be one of the things that we focus on. 
digital literacy. It's not just about learning how to use my gadgets. gadgets and apply things. But I also think it requires a different way of thinking. And I think that for a lot of period, we have been used to this analog thinking of we'll take things one step at a time. I go from A through to B, and we've got this mm. long line. Yes. And there's a, there's a wonderful quote by Ray Kurzweil where he says that we have been trained to think in a linear fashion. But the truth about information technology is that it's exponential. Exactly. So if I take 30 steps in a straight line, I'll get 30 meters. But if I take 30 steps exponentially, I'll get to a billion. Exactly. So we've got to change the way that we think and think more along the lines of, of a network society, of things don't go in a straight line, that we can move from the left to the right, up, down, in, in the middle, and, and think dynamically. Exactly. I think you, you're very right. You know, yesterday I met a few young women wanting to play in the media space. And one of the realities that they spoke to was that we cannot be thinking of radio or TV the way we're thinking about it now. Everything is going digital. People are able to access media information on their gadgets. So we have to think exponentially. But they are also saying, look, in this space, there's also a challenge that if government is slow, on assisting us to do some of the things. We get flooded by other players in the same field. And it's a global field. It's not limited to our exactly. geography. Exactly. And, and, you know, they we're talking about Netflix, they we're talking about all other players in the media space. And they're saying, if we don't keep up and deal with some of these things and be decisive on some of these things, and unfortunately, some of the players and the way content is now moving globally you can't even regulate it how do you deal with it as fpb from film and publications board how do you deal with it that as this content is flooding south africa we are also making sure that you are able to classify it and make sure that the right content goes to the right consumer and so on and so on and protect little ones and they were also saying, look, even what we want to do, we also want to access the global world and do the same thing. But we need exposure and government to now start to look into funding some of these things. And this is a discourse, Deputy Minister, we want you to engage, one, with the Minister of DTI and also other entities in government to say, how do we then come together and deal with these things so that you don't only have MDDA being the only entity that can just release those stipends and, for and all of us to play. MDDA, if you can just tell us media, what Our media development diversity agency that assists community radio stations, TV, and community print media with starter packs, your, your setup in uh, studios and machines and all other things for you to, to be able to play in that space. So they give you startup capital for you to set up all those things. So they were saying it's overstretched now. And uh, the notion of 
one community radio station, one municipality, it's not going to work because everybody consumes uh, content now on the phone. They've got the consumer who is consuming and taking that demand, exactly. using these methods and, and a different approaches. Sure. But at the same time, these young ladies have looked and presented the opportunity of mm. going, you know what, we can be global players too, mm. but we now need to look at how we can make that feasible. Mm. So I know that they only Im- imposed this upon you a mm. couple of days ago, mm. but tentatively, what's, what's your thinking of, of how we can take advantage? There's an ICT policy that is under review now, which um, I think almost all the role players, Department of Telecoms and, and Postal Services, ourselves, ICASA, and all other entities that are responsible for ICT, we have made inputs. And it is at a level where the Minister now of Communications has to go and, and present it to Cabinet. It is about uh, looking at how we also adapt as South Africa to what is um, happening around ICT globally. So these are enablers, the legal framework enablers that will assist government to now put systems in place for role players to, to start to benefit out of some of these things. So yeah. And staying with the technology stream, I I read a quote which is attributed to you Mm. saying, our society is rapidly moving towards using cutting-edge technology and more people are getting access to the internet year on year. Kikana believes that rural South Africans should have access to 21st century communications to run their businesses, complete their studies and connect with family and friends. Mm. So if you could share a a few of your thoughts, because the reality is that we're in our our 21st century has been transformed by technology. If you could give us some insight in terms of the education aspects that you are partly implementing. Uh, We were talking earlier about kids being able to access and start to use tablets and other devices in their learning, because Mm. when they get into the real world, Mm. it's not a blackboard with a piece of chalk. In fact, Doctor, let's start with education. Before me and you, and I'm not exposing our age, me and you, it was uh, typing during schooling. And then later on, it was computer literacy. And currently, because technology is also advancing, and if you look at the current form of employment, whether you go to the mining sector or you go to industries, you now are going to have these technologies. Um, A- your, AI, artificial yes, intelligence. Ad- artificial intelligence. You're going to have robots. You're going to have all these things. And it also says the rudimentary way of doing mining is gradually going to be replaced. And if you think there's physiological limitations of how much deeper we as human beings can go, but yes, a yes. machine doesn't have those limitations on excavation. So now it says our kids there at schools have to now think out of the box and be innovative and develop technologies that can also assist in replacing some of the ordinary way of doing things into the technological aspect. And that's why 
even issues of coding will be important to introduce at education level. Kids must now develop apps that are able to assist us to do certain things. I mean, for me to come to the SABC for the first time, if I did not know it, I would put that app and it will, the lady will just take me through until I arrive. So those kind of things are things that we must appreciate. The way me and you learned maths and all other things. There may be smarter ways of how kids can study and become more productive. And those are the things that we must encourage now at school level. So I'm just saying the work is enormous at education level to assist our kids and prepare them to become better and smarter people as, as in as far as technology is concerned. And I think one of the things that become critical for us is for government to make sure that even a child in a rural area has access to those technologies and have access to communication facilities that can assist them to have the Wi-Fi's and everything because you know not every area You're is so covered. You're so right because if they don't have that access, if we look at how technology is running away and, and growing, mm. the digital divide will get bigger and bigger and mm. this chasm is going to be impossible to close. Mm. So we have to get them access. We have to get them access and I'm happy that if you look at how our government has now looked into the thing. I think by next year, the spectrum issues and other things will be dealt with. It, it deals with quite a number of things. Probably it will even deal with the data issues that our kids are, are crying about, um, especially because... I think with children, there's never enough data. <laughs> and if you look at how the, the MEC of Education in Gauteng is trying and the Minister of Education are now wanting to roll out the smart classrooms and the smart the e-learning activities for, for young people. It's also a step in the right direction because that will not only improve productivity from our learners, but it will also expose them to opportunities to become innovative. In as much as we want our kids to catch up and not be left behind in as far as technology is concerned, but be very close to the situation as parents and monitor the kind of content they consume. Tremendous challenge because when you've got your official channels that are being broadcast, you will have an editor that will screen the content that makes sure it is appropriate for a particular audience. Okay. But if you look at what we have from a social media point of view, it's completely unfiltered. Anybody can put anything out there, whether it's true or not, and anyone can access it. That's the thing. But that's why in South Africa you have the Film and Publication Board. And, and this body mm. is responsible for classifying content that goes into the public space, whether online whether on TV and all those and things. And this is part of your portfolio. It is part of my portfolio. And what, what we have done, I went to a, an activity, uh, it was an AGM in Crete, in Greece, uh, two months ago. There's a body called In Hope, similar to what the film and publications do. So all 
the bodies that deals with classification of content from all over the world come together. So there, if you, doctor, can post something, pornography or whatever, through social media, they are able to track you. Whether you are in South Africa or you are anywhere else, and there are consequences for you. So the call we are making even to our people is that if somebody sends you something like that, don't distribute. Because in terms of the Film and Publications Act, if you are in possession, you distribute your guilty as charged. And the sentence is huge. So this thing of posting and doing all these things that are wrong, including reverse pornography and all other things, it's, it's, it's very punishable in the South African law and, and the film and publications. They trace it from the source and they will get you through their technology and then be able to deal with it. And that's one of the other important issues, that we leave behind a digital footprint. Mm. So you just follow the cookie crumbs Mm. back to the individual or individuals. Yes. And I don't think people are necessarily aware of the consequences of their actions and the impact that it can have. And that's how you, you in in cyberbullying and all those things, you, you have kids committing suicide and all those things. And that's why... It is one of the programs I'll be embarking on, going, uh, doing outreach. Um, we have agreed with the MEC of Houting, outreach to schools, to start to say to learners, please don't communicate with strangers on your phone. Parents like putting their kids on Facebook or on their status to say, have first day at school. Now, those who are in this... Um, pedophiles and and other related activities. Start tracking the child from her first day at school and communicate with that child until the child is 12, 13 and will say, I'm Uncle Mama, look at how I have been taking care of you. And by the time you wake up, that guy has taken your child. So we also want to discourage parents from posting their kids like we spoke earlier offline as an individual posting out content or looking at something in the same way that an individual can have access and look look at things there's also inviting the whole world yes to have access to you you. and those are the things we were trying to 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 discourage doctor Minister, the media is is critical from a a communications tool and not just in terms of of broadcasting. We've spoken about social media, we've spoken about the role of the Film Publications Board in terms of content and and categories. But looking at it in perhaps a, a different lens now is that the portrayal of women in those environments, because as as people viewing it, uh, content, they tend to generalize, take particular stereotypes or perspectives of how women are, are portrayed in the media. And the other factor is that women tend to be, uh, they tend to be fewer, let's say, that the percentage of coverage of women is less than the percentage of coverage than men. So I wanted to hear your, your perspectives on, on views like that. You see, this is the kind of feedback one will want to have. Uh, we had a, a nice session yesterday in the evening 
when when we had the top women awards uh, by Standard Bank and Sophie Mugwena from the SABC was was the keynote speaker and she was sharing with us the challenges she's confronted with as, as a woman dealing with um, news around outside South Africa and, and doing news coverages in Africa and, and, and the world. One of the things she was also saying, look this is one area where it is predominantly male uh, with very few women even if you're confronted by issues you you don't have mentors and other people to to go to to see how do i deal with some of the stereotypes uh, that confront me and that's why we are convening breakfast somewhere around september with women in the media whether in film and all other things in broadcasting, we, we're just going to cut across um, the whole spectrum because even one of the things we have picked up is that, you know, even if you want to play in this space, you are unable to own a studio, you are unable to own cameras, you are unable to own, because everything is just so expensive. And there are no support systems to say, how do we make sure that if people or women want to come in the space, they are able to be supported? Something that we'll also talk to arts and culture, because arts and culture also have, mm-hmm. and, and DTI, they have support systems around that. And government can only meet them up to that level, but can we have financial services that can also bring in their contribution towards developing women along those lines. But also coming nearer and closer to you, Doctor, people like yourselves will also want to hear from you that why is it that as we move at the lower levels of of broadcasting and whatever, it's all of you women there, but as we go up, it's very few of you. Why? Where do you dissipate to? Is it because you, are, you, you don't want the risks or you want to play safe, safe? Or is it because you are bullied and you then feel, hey, rather than me uh, being bullied, let me just play safe and stay in my corner and become comfortable there? Yet we know the capacity you have, yet we know the contribution you can make, and yet we know that you know if you put a woman on some of this strategic position, surely the, the results and the impact can come mm-hmm. bigger and better. Minister, that I think is the, the million dollar question, and it's a, a question that I ask tirelessly in the last say 48 months of of broadcasting the program of trying to understand what happens to women where where do they go what are the blocks what are the ceilings what are the stoppages and how do we address these stereotypical roles that we've put in society and said this is what women do this is what men do that that has to be disrupted, rewired and look at taking mutual responsibility exactly 
We need to. I mean, there should be one time, Dr. Way, your husband says, you know, leave everything for me today. Tonight, it's uh, the dinner is on me. Uh, guys, uh, what do you want to have? And you come back. It's a three-cost meal, and he does that. But thanks to um, these programs, the, the chefs, Oh, gosh, all of the cooking channels, yes. All the cooking channels, because now these channels are starting to make cooking fun, and the male folk, most of them are now starting to buy into it. And there are those men, really, who are starting to play their part and assisting, not just on, on the cooking part, but there are men out there who are also very responsible in assisting their wives to raise children so that at least we're able to share the roles. I can say that from the interviews that I've done with prominent women like yourselves, anyone who's got sons, they are making sure that their children are going to be thinking differently. They're exactly. making sure that when those young men grow up, that they know that there isn't a, a set role for, for them, a set role for their wives. It's about embracing all of these opportunities mm. and uh, doing a partnership. Exactly. I'm a single mother and I have a girl and a boy. If we wash dishes, we all have to do it. If we clean, all have to clean and make sure that the house is big and spent. So, and that's, that's how we now have to do some of these things. It's also about empowering them as well, uh, uh, the boy child. And I think everybody now, especially this year, uh, on this month, uh, the August month, there's a serious outcry by men to say, guys, now you are leaving the boy child. Can you uh, also, in your program, integrate the boy child so that they too can start to appreciate girls, even at the early age, to say, you are my younger sister, let's pull together and make sure, because the things that happens at universities, where universities become um, other areas where young girls are raped and all those things becomes a challenge. And once we start to encourage them to make sure that they live together and appreciate each other at an early age, things like this that we mm. see at universities will, will completely go. Yeah, and it'll lead to a, a social, social transformation. Mm. Minister, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show who've made significant contributions to their, their fields, their disciplines, their careers, is about some of the factors that they feel have contributed to their success. Some people speak about hard work, others talk about perseverance, or there was a, a particular person in their lives who was instrumental. Please, can you share with us what have been some of your factors of success? I, I grew up with um, a team of young girls. One of them is a magistrate in, in Bloemfontein. And the, the, other, the other one was the first president of the University of Northwest. They called it UNIBO then. We, we, we were at high school together and we used to compete amongst ourselves to become best of the best learners. So. That kind of uh, inspiration amongst ourselves, but also the kind of discipline that our parents um, taught us and, and made us to, 
to make sure that uh, you you are able to come up as a person and be the best so that your your father or your mother can be able to say well done my girl so it's 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 that kind of hard work of ensuring that amongst your peers you 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 complement each other and become a, a winning team that's one but also ensuring that because my mother has been my pillar and my dad has been my source of inspiration and unfortunately he's he's late and my mom is a domestic worker she was a domestic worker then and my father was working at, at public works but at all times they always wanted the best out of me and i made sure that through that support from the family point of view you dare not fail them and that's how one was able to to come up but i also say things to the community in our days you are not only your mom's child or your dad's child you you were raised by a community so what happened in our surrounding in bilabela also made us to be we are and I'm very grateful about the kind of support systems that the community of Bilabila gave to some of us, including Edna Mulewa. She she's one of the sisters who raised me in, in Bilabila and um Edna had it tough. She was she was in the underground in those days and she was one woman who stood firm even during those dark days but and and she was a source of inspiration to all of us in our area and and i think we were looking up to her because most of the things that she she could do with with all comrades in that area we we then started to say but this is the route we must all follow and make sure that we rise to the occasion and uplift our own communities in that regard she's very strong I remember having an interview with her mm. and she was relaying a, a story of, of the past and the struggles and how she was nursing one of her babies mm. and the police came, separated her mm. from the child mm. and she said, there you are wondering what's happening to my children, mm. who's feeding my babies, what's their future? She really took you to mm. that place mm. of the importance mm. Mm. of knowing that you're fighting in the struggle to make everybody else's life better. Oh, yes. mm. But back to you. <laughs> Can you tell us about some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up? Well, like I told you, I come from a very, very poor background. Um, my mom being a domestic worker and, and my father being um, working for public works. And I was raised, because I was a girl amongst four boys, and we were living in a four-bedroomed, four-roomed house. So my grandma had to take me and say, you can't stay with boys in one bedroom, so rather come and stay with, with us. Uh, it was just some few streets away. So I was raised by my mom's aunt, and, uh, you know, trying to make ends meet, um, selling um, sogambia and, and all other things um, to make us to, 
to be able to go to school, to pay for school fees and all those things. And when I matriculated, I I then went to do private teaching for three years because I couldn't go to university immediately. So I had to work in one of the farm schools in Farvater for three years. And thanks to one farmer, Mr. Baber, because in a farm area, the checks you are you are you are sort of a principal or a teacher in that school, but the farm owner um, sort of um, administer what's what's happening in the school. So our checks were coming through the farm manager, and he said to me, "What is your plan? And what do you want to do? Uh, because you are a teacher privately, any plans?" I said, "No, I want to go to university to do social work." He said, from now henceforth, today we are going to Foxcast. We are going to open a bank account. I'm going to do a bank book for you. I'm keeping it here in the farm. Every day you are going to eat with us, whatever we are eating. I did that for three years. 1988, I paid all my tuition at the University of the North. And then from there he said, if you get good results, you'll be on merit and you finish your university. Four years, done and dusted. I got to Basari, and then I finished. And, and I'm saying to other kids, you know, whether it's poverty, whether it's your social conditions or whatever, for as long as you have a goal to achieve, that will not even become a stumbling block for you. Persevere. I remember one day when we were in a taxi, going to school because my grandmother will pay that 50 rand for taxi and then give me another 50 rand to say this is only when you close and in those days Teflop was strike after strike so he says even if they strike see how you patch yourself there in Polokwane don't come home because you may come home I will not have 50 rand for you to go back so my 50 rand will stay will I will put it nicely somewhere in a corner in a suitcase for only when we go back home. And then in the in the taxi, when we go to school, you know, people will have provisions, some chicken and all those things. I'll be the only one not having that. And there was a young man, Lincoln, from, from our area. They'll give her chicken and all those things. And he says, Pinky, just take all these things. You know, my mom thinks I'm a girl. Take all these things. So... I'll eat all these things of his and then go to school. I'll be like others, you know, and, and then be there. But you know, in our peers, some will tease you and say, hey, when, how do you survive because you don't even have uh, food in your room and so on because I would eat directly at the university, at the, at the canteen at the university. So I'd say, you know what, around 12, 1, when I feel very hungry and my stomach is doing all this guru guru, I wake up, I sit on my desk and I study. And by that time, because your tummy is so full, you are sleeping and watch the space between me and you who will then pass on record time. I did that and that lady for six years doing a four-year degree said, no. That's a powerful statement. Mm-hmm. Really, really very powerful. Lastly, as we 
close out for today's show, could you please share a few words of wisdom, inspiration that you'd like to pass on to young ladies listening to us? Look, I want to say, Dr. Malka, this is a great opportunity, especially in this day and age of Tumamina, to our young women to say, we never had opportunities like this of NSFAS, of free education at high schools, of feeding schemes at schools, and also even for the orphans and, and, and many other people, uh, young little ones who do not have parents or whose parents are unemployed, that they are able to get some form of money to keep them going. We never had that opportunity. And I'm saying to them, embrace this with your two hands. It's an opportunity that government says to you, we are making an enabling environment for you to study and become a better person. You have 12 years of high school life. You also have three years or more of becoming a professional. Use those years accordingly, and the rest will follow. Make sure that you really prepare for your future and become a better person. But from our side, especially as Bupinki and them, we also have to be closer to young girls and mentor them and give them support and share experiences of how we were also assisted and supported so that we don't leave them out there and think they will be able to grow on their own. It's a call that we must also make on our side to say the world has changed so much. The challenges of young people are so many. How then do we come closer to each other and support them and nurture them so that as we rise, we also lift. Thank you. I think that is a, a wonderful motivation, unity, collectiveness, mm. bringing people together, mm. helping and mm. assisting so that everyone benefits. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Communications, Ms. Pinky Kikana. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk.